Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. And today, suddenly, you know, some payment processors would have you for something like ICO. So today, if someone's doing a token sale, they will probably allow wire transfers and so on. This is kind of what Bitcoin does. You find this hole or you find this, this need somewhere. People will use Bitcoin to, to get across this gap. And then the gap will slowly close. And that's a good thing. So people will stop using Bitcoin there, but everything is better for everyone. So that's generally... A good thing, I would say. Hello, I'm Coindesk reporter Lee Quinn, here with Udi Wertheimer, a blockchain consultant, Tron Schill, and Ethereum influencer. We're here to talk today about software and culture. Thanks for joining us today, Udi. Thanks for having me, Lee. I love this intro. I'm going to use it. For everyone listening at home, I want to catch you up on an ongoing conversation I've been having with Udi since 2017. So I personally believe there are multiple cryptocurrency cultures, meaning that people gather in groups with certain social norms and expectations, and they repeat specific patterns. That doesn't mean the asset, like Bitcoin, is defined by these cultures any more than Clinique Black Honey Lipstick is defined by skincare forums. But the asset is a product, and people project their beliefs onto it, and it influences how they use it. From Udi's perspective, Bitcoin doesn't necessarily need a cohesive culture or any kind of advocacy to build such a culture. And the idea of mainstream adoption is both futile and hilarious. Did I summarize your perspective correctly? Um, it sounds pretty close. I mean, I can, you know, I can argue for that position. <laughs> Even if I... Where do you think that there's nuance in there that I didn't cover? I mean, I, I don't know if I would say it's hilarious. But yeah, I think that people seem to really want to see mainstream adoption. I think that many times it's because they just want to see numbers go up. But also people sometimes believe that, you know, we have some sort of gift to the world that we want to share and we want people to, to enjoy what we have. I think people will, will only get it once they need it. You don't just suddenly get Bitcoin because someone told you about it. But maybe you need to transfer funds to another country and it's becoming challenging and you find that Bitcoin makes it easier. Uh, maybe you live somewhere where uh, it's kind of difficult to 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 save to save up money, and and Bitcoin helps you there. Um, but I, I don't think you can convince just some friend that that Bitcoin somehow solves all their problems if they don't have an actual problem that Bitcoin solves for them. I'm not sure though, because we have Ethereum, right? Ethereum has a very approachable and distinct culture, and that's helped it influence institutions like the United Nations, the Securities and Exchange Commission. But I'm not sure whether they did it specifically by saying it solves their problem. They did it by getting them really excited about this culture and this concept, this perspective that they've created, right? Right. So, I mean, there's the regulatory uh, issue that you mentioned that they probably didn't necessarily get the regulators excited about Ethereum, but they, you know, they managed to, to get some room to, to do experimentation, which is something that the Bitcoin industry did too. But yeah, I mean, as far as, you know, experiments with things like the, you know, various United Nations uh, entities, it's, it's possible that Bitcoin has less to offer there. You know, it's just a digital asset. We, we're, no one, I, I think most people aren't claiming that Bitcoin is a platform to build apps um, or, uh, I don't know, some innovation to decentralize the internet or whatever. Ethereum seems to sometime try to sell this narrative. 
And I think that some people find this narrative, um, you know, attractive, but it doesn't necessarily deliver on the narrative. Okay, fair. But you don't think that a lot of people are trying to sell the narrative that Bitcoin is self-sovereign money to the extent that it will shift power in our global economy? Yeah, I mean, they do. But I think that this kind of narrative doesn't require any active participation from anyone who doesn't want to. So, well, it depends. You know, you have a lot of people who have a lot of ideas about Bitcoin. But I think the one recurring theme that I, I hear quite a lot is that people would say that Bitcoin would, for example, necessarily lead to hyper-Bitcoinization where, um, you know, entire nations would, would have their, their citizens selling their fiat currency in order to buy Bitcoin and escape their supposedly crashing uh, national currency, which I guess could happen. There's no one trying to convince them to do that in that scenario. The, the expectation is that, you know, they would have to, um, they would do that out of necessity, not out of um, anyone telling them that it's a good idea or profitable or whatever. So there are definitely people who believe that Bitcoin would assist in taking down uh, governments and so on. I don't know if that's something that, that we should want and desire, but there are definitely people who believe that. But I don't think they're trying to kind of sell people on the idea that if they buy Bitcoin, this will happen. They're kind of saying Bitcoin is better money, so people will be attracted for it um, for their own personal reasons over time. And national currency won't be able to compete with that. That's what they think those people are saying. But you'd brought up that people will find Bitcoin when they need to use it. And I think that a lot of people don't realize that Bitcoin can be useful to them. And they don't realize it can be useful to them because it hasn't been expressed in a language they understand or in a place where they go for information. And so that's why I've been really focused a lot about thinking about culture and how it impacts Bitcoin sustainability. And then last time we were talking about this, you made a really excellent point that unlike Ethereum, which has a very strong brand, Bitcoin is not an open source software project. It's a rock, you'd called it. Uh, yeah. You said that we use open source software to evaluate the rock, that we can use a variety of implementations and tools to test the rock, but it's not super relevant for you that I keep harping on how Linux developed and a community of contributors, because for you, Bitcoin is out of the bag. It now exists. And so whether or not Bitcoin Core or Samurai or any of these tools that we now use for Bitcoin survive, Bitcoin will continue regardless of these projects and cultures. Is that basically the, the perspective you have? Yeah, uh, pretty much. I mean, I, I would definitely, you know, I would want those tools to survive. Um, I use them myself, so I would want them to keep existing so that I could personally use them and that people that I know could use them. But I do believe that their existence is not what keeps Bitcoin itself alive. Bitcoin is a digital asset or even a digital rock, and, and, it, and it just exists, you know? Those tools, they're used to verify the authenticity of the rock. They're used to transfer the rock to other locations, but that's all they are. Like, you know, gold is still valuable regardless of the ships that exist to transfer it and, and regardless of the professionals that, that assay and, and, and verify its authenticity. It's still gold. So do you think that Bitcoin can be more useful for some kinds of people or just be more useful in general if there are deliberate education or adoption or advocacy efforts? Or do you think that all of those may be useful for a specific person who benefits from that education, who say goes to the class, but at the network at large, the liquidity at large, that they don't really benefit from deliberate education or adoption efforts? I'm sure there's some benefit for you know, the network at large. Myself, locally, I, I try to help out with the Bitcoin embassy in Tel Aviv that does a lot of um, kind of advocacy and education on a voluntary basis and in a nonprofit basis. And we do, you know, workshops and, and we help people set up their first wallet sometimes and so on. Obviously, there's value in that. I feel like there's more value in that for my local community than there is for Bitcoin as a network or as an asset or whatever it is. Like, that's the reason I do it. But I'm sure it has some effects, you know, but I think it's pretty small. You know, I, I don't think that we need Bitcoin evangelists because you don't, 
you don't stick with Bitcoin if someone just told you that it's great. That's that's what I would assume at this point in time. You you need to understand to really want it to really understand what it gives you. It's not enough to have someone who told you, "Listen, Bitcoin is great. You should own it." Because after a while, you'll be stressed out and you'll sell it, or maybe you'll sell it because the value went up. You probably won't use it though, and you probably will step out pretty fast if you if you're not you know if you don't really understand what what it is that you get. Selling it as a use case, no? Sure, uh, it can be useful to some people. That's the best way probably to evangelize Bitcoin, to find someone who could actually benefit from using it and that would use it for their own benefit, not to make Bitcoin better. That's probably the best way to evangelize Bitcoin. The thing is that probably most people in in Western countries could do well at this point in time without using Bitcoin at all. That's probably true for most of them. Depends on the line of business. I mean, for me, yeah. um, it's actually sometimes easier to get paid um, when clients from abroad pay me. It's sometimes literally easier to get paid with Bitcoin because just the you know the banking infrastructure in Israel isn't phenomenal when it comes to <laughs> international transfers. Understatement. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's sometimes just easier for me. Um, but you know, most people, um, most of my friends in, in in Israel, they're you know they're their employees and they get their paychecks from a company in Israel and they just, there's no use for Bitcoin for them for those kind of things. So it will be useful for some people. And and I think there's a belief that with time it will become more useful to more people. But um, just, you know, kind of trying to tell people, someone that Bitcoin is going to be great for them when in reality there's nothing they need it for sounds I don't know, somewhat pretentious to me, at least. So you've said so many things there that I want to touch on. And I just want to start with maybe the last thing that you'd said, which is that most people don't necessarily need Bitcoin for its censorship-resistant properties. Right. So, But the issue is that a lot of the people that are in communities and groups that do need those kinds of properties, whether they're refugees or sex workers or domestic violence victims, don't generally hang out in... IRCs and Reddit, and they don't <laughs> sure. know what Bitcoin is. It doesn't. It doesn't even occur to them that there is a tool that they could use for this problem that they do know they have. So, I know that a lot of those time, a lot of times, those user groups are used for virtue signaling across the industry. But those people sometimes don't have the skills or knowledge or resources to use Bitcoin in the way that is useful for them. And that's generally what it is people try and do when they have advocacy or education efforts, right? Is to get more people to be aware of the way that this tool could be useful to them. Yeah, I mean, kind of. But let's let's you know let's think of such a person who I don't know, you know, they're not on Reddit and they're not on IRC and they're not on Twitter. I guess I don't know what what they're on, what they're not. But let's say they don't have great online connectivity. They're not involved in like technical communities, right? I'm not sure how Bitcoin is going to help them, even if I tell them about it. So it's going to be useful for someone, for example, let's say you live in some third world country and you're this guy who tries to build websites um, for cheaper than what someone in, in the States would. And you, I don't know, you're really fast or whatever, and you're trying to give out the service. And the only way you can get paid is with Bitcoin. And then maybe you, you know, you're not going to store those Bitcoins forever. You're probably going to sell it for gift cards or um, some points that you can use for whatever, to talk over the phone. I don't know. So you're going to redeem them for something. You, you will only use Bitcoin just to get the money to you somehow from some customer in the West. This guy will obviously need to be, you know, technically proficient because that's his job. So... Bitcoin is going to be useful for this kind of people. It's not going to be useful for someone selling shoes because it's not. You can't sell shoes to anyone abroad. You don't need digital payments. It doesn't matter where you live and what kind of problems you have. Bitcoin is not going to save you. There's this this expectation that if you have Bitcoin or some other coins, if I may, then you can save yourself from problems in Venezuela and so forth. But I, I don't see how. I mean, you still have the same problems that, that you would have without Bitcoin. You need to somehow 
get value into Bitcoin. You need to somehow get value out of Bitcoin. That's the same challenge that people face when they want to move into and out of US dollars in third world countries. It's a challenge. How do you do that? It doesn't matter if it's digital or not. You know, digital solutions for US dollars exist too. People don't use that as much either. So they definitely use that more than Bitcoin though. So it, it just doesn't solve a problem. People who live in the West and don't have those kinds of problems, they like to imagine that Bitcoin somehow solves problems for other people that they don't understand, but I, I don't see how. Um, it, it does help specifically if you are in, you know, in some third world country and you, you do have a way to interface with people who are on the West or maybe somewhere else and you need to get paid. So then maybe Bitcoin helps you, but then you can use it. Then you have the tools that you need to use it. Okay, so so many things you said there that I want to push back against. You're talking about how like saving, like Bitcoin's not going to save anyone. I think we can all agree there that Bitcoin is not a savior, for sure not. But I definitely want to change the conversation from us thinking that emerging markets and impoverished countries are the only places where people can benefit from Bitcoin. I always point to this example just because it's somebody that everybody knows. Um, but did you know how it was that uh, Cardi B or a lot of actually performers who used to be sex workers got the career they have today. They needed cash. There's a lot of women in that strip for cash because their husband controls the bank account. So Bitcoin doesn't save them, but it's certainly easier to hide and uh, good for long-term storage if you're trying to save up for a divorce lawyer, for example. So it's definitely like there are diff people with different situations in terms of their access to the global financial system. And I think that Bitcoin can be useful for them, although it's not going to stop the husband from hitting. It will not save them. What it will do is it will give them a resource, an ability to have a resource privately, quietly, and to use that resource privately and quietly. Right. Yeah? I mean, I, I definitely agree that, you know, for example, um, for sex workers, it's obvious that Bitcoin served the purpose there at least for um, a certain period of time. I'm not sure if it's, as prevalent today as it used to be. I, it's I not, just don't for know. sure not. Yeah, um, because I, I think it's because there are better solutions today. I mean, it's not a bad thing. It's not because it's better solutions. It's because guys don't pay in it. Like anytime I've talked to a sex worker who used Bitcoin, she was like, yeah, I did when they were paying me in it, but now they don't pay me in it. So it doesn't make sense for me to spend all this time keeping up a node or like doing whatever it is they're doing if my customers aren't going to give me money in it. You know what I mean? Right. So, so for them, it was more about accepting Bitcoin because that's just what customers wanted, right? It's, it wasn't because it was a better solution for them. It was just because... No, no. It was about uh, they were getting kicked off other payment platforms. Like they couldn't receive money in other ways. So this allowed them to receive money. But now that they are not receiving money, they have the capability, they have the whole setup, but no one is giving it to them. Then it's worthless anyway. And they need to figure out another way to receive money. Do you mean because no one is just paying anymore at all or... Or because Not in no Bitcoin. one's paying with, yeah. So what are people paying in now? Because you said that before they used Bitcoin because there was nothing else. Mm. So there, there I another... think that really depends on the context. So like an escort will probably have someone give her literally an envelope full of cash. I mean, sure. if you're doing something online, maybe it, it, they've gotten a different PayPal account under their friend's name or you know whatever. Like they're they're figuring out whatever solutions it is that they need to figure out. But a lot of times, the reason that they'd originally tried using Bitcoin was because they got deplatformed and they didn't know what to do. And so they found this tool that helped them. I don't know, but it, it feels like, obviously, if people are not paying with Bitcoin as often, it's because there are now other options that didn't exist before. So a lot of the people that were paying with Bitcoin, they like number went up so fast, 2017. Now I'm rich and I want to spend my money. And now yeah. that we're not in that kind of bull market anymore, they would rather either hold on to that or they've sold off their position. Yeah. Yeah, that's possible. Yeah, for sure. I, I as long you know, as long as a, as 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 a solution exists for them, I think that's great. And and that's one of those things that Bitcoin seems to do. It finds you know it. Of course, Bitcoin doesn't do it by itself. By the way, what I'm kind of my point before was that people find ways to use Bitcoin um, for their current needs, and then they find that some other competitors in the space are looking to give them a better option because once you found this hole that you can use, then other people want to take advantage of that. And that's good for everyone. So you get new payment processors that, that, that you can use in that case. In the case of ICOs, 
ICOs were also some sort of, you know, people were basically leveraging Bitcoin to accept payments that otherwise they couldn't accept as investments. That's basically what the ICO bubble was. You could say that it wasn't only Bitcoin, but that doesn't matter. I would argue that it has nothing with the technicalities of smart contracts or tokens or whatever. It was basically about the ability to transfer money from the investor to the project that, that needs the, the funds. And you couldn't do that before because PayPal wouldn't have you. So that's basically what it was. And today, suddenly, you know, some payment processors would have you for something like ICO. So today, if someone's doing a token sale, they will probably allow wire transfers and so on. And you could say that maybe regulations in some parts of the world became more forgiving to this type of, of thing. So this is kind of what Bitcoin does. You find this hole or you find this, this need somewhere and people will use Bitcoin to, to get across this gap. And then the gap will slowly close. And that's a good thing. So people will stop using Bitcoin there, but everything is better for everyone. So that's generally a good thing, I would say. Okay, so I want to talk about this whole thing you brought up, but first I want to um, hearken back to something that you had said earlier when you're talking about the Tel Aviv Bitcoin embassy. And this actually stuck with me, and I didn't realize it before you'd said it, that from your perspective, you're not a part of the Bitcoin community. You're a part of the Tel Aviv community, a very physical, tangible place where you live and have friends and coworkers and things. And you use Bitcoin as a tool and as a common shared hobby or something. But for you, you're not thinking like, oh, I'm investing in the Bitcoin community. You're thinking, oh, I'm investing in my local community and Bitcoin happens to be one of the ways I'm doing that. Is that correct in the way I was hearing your distinction between community and your work there? Yeah. I mean, I mean, for my work with the Bitcoin embassy, I would say that that's for the local community. That's an investment in the local community and not in, in Bitcoin. Yeah. I, I think that that's accurate. And I can really resonate with that because I can get behind, you know, someone wanting to invest, a sex worker wanting to connect with her community of coworkers or someone who lives in a neighborhood who wants to improve that specific neighborhood. Like the idea of community, I really like the way that you're pointing out that Bitcoin can overlap with existing tangible communities as opposed to being some like esoteric thing that we have to globally support the Bitcoin community. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about um, holes that you had mentioned. So you made me really cranky the other day. You said there was uh, not a lot of value in studying organic Bitcoin use cases. I did. What, what was the context for that? I, I... Yeah. So I was arguing that I'm very annoyed with the billionaires gone wild narrative that like everyone wants me to cover all the time people misbehaving with their Bitcoin. And people do misbehave with their Bitcoin. But I don't find that to be necessarily surprising because people really misbehave with their bank accounts and credit cards too. That I'm really interested in trying to figure out um, how it is that people... Where are these holes? You were talking about like people fill these holes. Like what are use cases for censorship resistant technology? I mean, I think some of the reason that you'd pointed it out that that's not necessarily going to like uplift the global esoteric Bitcoin community is because these holes will inevitably fill once we've identified them. Right. Which is good. Which is good. But then how like how do we know if this rock is actually a good tool for the things that it was invented to do? Um, how can the rock be improved on or efficiently used if we don't study in the way beyond speculative trading that people actually use it? Yeah, I, yeah, that's that's a very good question that I Hi, can't answer. I'm, I'm going to give some excuses now <laughs> for why I can't <laughs> answer that. So, I mean, the, the, maybe the biggest thing, I think, is that if someone's using Bitcoin, if someone's really using Bitcoin, like they're not, you know, they're not just holding it and which is, which is great. I mean, that's, that's what I do. That's what a lot of people do. They just hold Bitcoin because they think other people are going to use it. Right. But um, if that's not what you do, if you, if you actually use Bitcoin as a part of um, your business as a way to transfer money or as a way to accept payments or, I don't know, et cetera, um, it's very possible that you, you're not very interested in talking about it. Um, I mean, a lot of times you, you shouldn't be talking about it. And, it's, yes. and by the way, it's not, it's not necessarily because you're doing something illegal, um, but you probably, you know, you're probably upsetting someone. So, so you might be upsetting some payment processor 
um, that wouldn't, you know, wouldn't service you if they knew that funds were originated with some Bitcoin transactions, for example. And, and so, so you wouldn't want to mention that. Definitely not publicly. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a challenge and, and, and Bitcoin is kind of oriented towards those things, I think. I, I, well, I, I wouldn't say oriented, but I think it's, it's a natural fit for those things. So, so it's very hard to find them. And also remember those people don't care. They don't care about Bitcoin as a community or as an asset or as anything. They care about the, their business or whatever it is, their livelihood. They, they don't care about anything else. So it's just a tool for them. And, and, and they're not like trying to make the world better. They're just trying to solve their own problems, um, which is, I think it's a great position for Bitcoin to be in, but you can't expect those people to stop everything they're doing and, and start helping, um, you know, I don't know, open source contributors or whatever. Okay. So okay. So I want to push back on that even more. Yeah. Uh, doesn't the meaning of cyberpunk mean Someone who uses privacy tech to promote social change. Isn't that the whole concept? Um, I guess it's a very big part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then how can it be or can it never be a worthwhile expenditure of time to think of Bitcoin as a tool for social change? The, the question is how, how can it not be a tool for social change? No, no, no. The question is, okay, so we've identified that like, most people will use Bitcoin for selfish reasons, and that's a great thing. Most Bitcoin use cases, once they become really widely known, will actually disappear. That hole will fill, which can be a good thing, can be a bad thing, depending on who fills the hole. Um, but if the meaning of cypherpunk is thinking about how technology can be used to promote social change, and you have the belief very strongly that Bitcoin is a rock, it does, it's not you know, an Ethereum movement, it's just a rock, and however it is we interact with that is our own personal choices, then what is a worthwhile expenditure of time that can think of Bitcoin as a cypherpunk tool, meaning a tool for social change? And if you think that there is no good expenditure of time uh, that can think of Bitcoin in this way, then um, doesn't that contradict with the idea that it's a cypherpunk technology? Oh, I mean, I mean, of course there's, there's you know, good. Good is a very subjective word, but of course there's good in, in, in working on Bitcoin-related stuff. So... For example, if someone's working on on Bitcoin Core and improving whatever part of it, then obviously they're making the lives of people who use this piece of software called Bitcoin Core easier. Um, that's that sounds like a good thing, um, and, it, and it might be challenging and fulfilling for the person doing it, and hopefully they can find a way to get some funding for doing that and support their family. So it sounds like something good. Um, and, you know, if uh, a piece of software like Bitcoin Core or like uh, a Samurai Wallet or Wasabi Wallet or whatever wallet um, is made easier to use and more people use it, then that, you know, that's social change. I'm not, obviously, uh, when someone is going to decide, am I going to use Bitcoin or not? Or, or as you mentioned, if they're even going to hear about Bitcoin or not. It's going to be affected by are the tools approachable enough and easy enough for me to use. That's obviously true. Um, if the tool is more approachable, then it's going to be more approachable for more people. And 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 I mean, there's obviously social good in that, assuming that you accept that there's good in using Bitcoin. Um, so yeah, I just don't think that it, it's. Do you think there's good in using Bitcoin? I think that yeah, I think I think that. It's you know if it solves a problem for for someone, I think it's good. Yeah, that's fair. I, I can get behind uh, solving problems is a good thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and we know we know that it solves problems for people. Now some of them, you know, some of them are it solves problem also for people who are ultra rich, right? It's not just for very poor people. Um, so it solves a lot of problems for a lot. Of, yeah, it solves a lot of problems for a lot of types of people, but. I think uh, any problem solving is good or at least has so, the potential of being good. Has the potential to be good. Okay. Very fair. So if but you just money, you know, is, is gold good? <laughs> it's just money. I don't know. It's, it, it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's exactly. Okay. So 
it's just gold. It's just a rock. So why do you spend so much of your time focused on it? You could definitely focus on other kinds of money. Um, I don't know that that what this one is more interesting. <laughs> and, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and and there are a lot of you know there are technical challenges that I'm I'm attracted to, I guess. But and and there are definitely a lot of anthropological um, issues that I'm attracted to. But it's you know it's it's just interesting and it's i get to work with people that are interesting so it's kind of fulfilling in that way but that's that's a that's definitely a very social thing of being in a in a in a community and in an industry that i just enjoy being a part of um but you know a lot of people do their part for bitcoin uh in quotes um without being involved in this community at all they don't you know yeah. they, they, like at all they don't care what's going on they don't care about the drama they don't know about the drama and everything's fine for I'm so them so jealous and they, of them they, <laughs> <laughs> and they do their part you know so you can yeah. you can there are many ways to be a bitcoiner what I are some of the of, yeah i think a lot of times people confuse um the kind of online community of loudmouths like myself i guess and others as representatives of what a Bitcoiner is, which is ridiculous because we're a very small group of people and we're not representative of anything. I mean, the, 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 vast, <laughs> the vast ways that people use Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies too, I guess, are, are obviously not going to be represented on social media. So it, it, I hope people can see through that because... It could be, you know, I, it could probably fool some people, I guess. What are some of the anthropological findings that you find interesting, specifically with relation to Bitcoin? Yeah, I mean, all of those communities are very obviously religious, right? Um, and and I guess in a way, it's it's it has to be that way. Uh, it know, does are we religious like, about gold some people are and obviously some people and obviously some people were were in in early times in early gold times that's for mm -hmm. sure okay you have a point you're correct so okay we're gonna try and find one time during this conversation that you're not correct but in this definitely you're correct okay <laughs> I, I get behind this <laughs> um okay we'll fair there. You've developed quite a reputation for your pro-Ethereum Telegram channel and <laughs> yeah. your habit of shorting Ether. Right. I'm curious, you said uh, you find some of the aspects of different communities interesting. Um, can you be more specific? Like, what is it about a community you found interesting compared to a different group? Right. So, um, I guess, so one thing that, 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 I think it's probably hard to get for almost everyone in the space, actually, is how come that there are those very separate groups that seem to put their own special coin on a pedestal and kind of hate on all the rest. Um, obviously, people accuse Bitcoiners of that, but apparently every other community does the same. So mm -hmm. if you go to the Ethereum community, they will say Bitcoin is a joke or meme coin or whatever. And obviously Ethereum is the only way to go. If you'll go to Ripple fans, they will say that all the others are, you know, obviously science experiments and Ripple is adopted by banks. And and you'll go down the list and 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 pretty much each and every one of them will will explain why their favorite coin is obviously superior to all the rest, which is Really, it, it yeah, sounds yeah, this surprising. Is religion. <laughs> this is, is religion. Yeah, I mean, My God says I do these things, and I go to heaven. You go to hell. Your God, no, no, no. You've got it wrong. I go to heaven. You go to hell. This is religion. Yeah, yeah. and and so like, is that a lot of people like to say this is bad for the industry? You know, this is not good for us. Uh, we need to stop this because this is dividing divisive. Uh, um, behavior is hurting us all. And I, I don't know if that's true. I mean, without those people, what do we have exactly? Um, at times <laughs> without it seems like the fighting? 
not without the fighting, without the devotees, I guess. Mm. What, what do we have? Um, Reasonable people who use a product for the thing they want to use it for? Well, so I guess that, that puts in the question again, what's good versus bad. But I mean, if people think that um, this world where more, many shitcoins exist is good, then we need those devotees for sure, because it can't exist without them. That's for sure. Mm. So maybe Do you think exposure to these other groups has identified for you anything in the Bitcoin narrative that feels more religious than factual? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like That's what? one thing I really like um, that, for example, being exposed to my uh, very good friends in the Ethereum community helps me uh, see, you know, fallacies in other groups for sure. Um, because... There, there's um, one, one thing that um, I find very um, disturbing in the Ethereum community specifically is that they, th th there's this people seem to, to do a lot of, of building a product basically for the other people I meet at booths at conferences. So the, the, the The product isn't useful for anyone, but two or three people that I'm going to do a partnership with that are at the booth across of me at the conference. And that's basically who I'm building my product for. And that seems um, ill-advised, at least, as a long-term strategy. Um, yeah, but you're harping on the shortcoming of a community that you don't identify with. How has that yeah, community wait. helped you no, identify no, no. anything? So, Okay. Right. So, okay. so, so that was something that I always said. Okay, this is, this seems, you know, this seems like it can't work. Um, but then I sometimes see that um, in Bitcoin too. So, yeah. and and you know, and that's it. Whoa, wait, wasn't that an Ethereum thing? <laughs> Why Bitcoin is doing that? And I'm not going to name names, but it happens. Um, it definitely happens sometimes. So. You know, Bitcoiners who are building stuff and propping them up as magical solutions, but who is the solution for it? It certainly happens sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and obviously people can do whatever they want, right? But when there's a lot of excitement around those things, then you kind of ask yourself, okay, so why, why, why are you doing this? We can do this if we want to. Anyway, you know, people can do whatever they want, but, uh, but is this really going to be sustainable in any way? Hmm. But yeah. So as you know, because I complain to you about it all the time, I get really anxious <laughs> about this industry and about some of these experiments and the geopolitical impact they could have. I'm especially concerned that it could shift the overtone window in terms of what's considered desirable or acceptable to do with money. Um, just one example would be the way that it's acceptable to raise money, what you're allowed to say in terms of manner of sale. Um, I think definitely this industry is... Uh, participating in changing that norm. Uh, right. You often comfort me with the refrain that bad ideas will eventually fail on their own. It's very much appreciated. Um, yeah, I believe that. But, but with that in mind, I'm really curious to hear from you. What do you think Ethereum could be in five years? What impact do you think it might have compared to a project like Tron? <laughs> well, Tron <laughs> is a tough competition for Ethereum, but, but I mean... What I would want Ethereum to be is to be an alternative for Bitcoin. I would, I would love Ethereum to be a true competitor to Bitcoin with, you know, a hard asset with hard properties that don't change. And something that I could say, if Bitcoin fails, at least we have Ethereum. That's something that I would love to have. People always like to say, um, you hate on Ethereum because you're afraid that it will become <laughs> big, bigger than Bitcoin. That's ridiculous. Bitcoiners uh, say all, this too. Well, apparently some people are not very smart and that they can be, they can belong to any community. <laughs> it doesn't matter what, it doesn't matter what assets they hold. They can be not very smart. That's, <laughs> that can okay, happen. So But I, I mean, so people will say, you know, you, you hate Ethereum because you, you, you're afraid of it. And I wish, I really want something to be a competition to Bitcoin. I want, I, I wish there was something to hedge Bitcoin with. Ethereum is not that, not, not like not at all. It's 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 really not. So I wish it would be that. It's probably not going to though. 
Um, what do you think it's going to be? I don't know. I really don't know. It's 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 hard to tell. I would imagine that Ethereum would have to look more and more like Tron over time, like something like Tron, like something that's more controlled and more um, centralized, which is a world that I'm not in love with, but mm-hmm. whatever. You know, Bitcoiners a lot of times say that Ethereum is bad because it's centralized. I think that's ridiculous. Um, Ethereum should be um, more tightly controlled, I think, much more tightly controlled. The, the main disadvantages of Ethereum is because it's not tightly controlled and not, um, doesn't have the leadership that other coins have. I think that's what it's missing because it can't compete with um, projects that have strong leadership because they move faster and they're not afraid of, of being flexible. Yeah, I mean, companies are a thing. There's a reason that we have structures with hierarchies in order to get things done when you scale. Yeah. 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 And because Ethereum doesn't want to be Bitcoin, then I would say they need to at least have this kind of flexibility. I think it's so funny that people think that you're critical because you're afraid of Ethereum. Because people tell me that all the time of, oh, the regulators and the bankers, they're afraid of Bitcoin and that's why they don't yeah. like it. No, not at all. They're definitely not yeah. afraid, guys. Don't worry. They yeah, don't like it because they don't understand it. They don't. They think it's something that it's not. And yeah. they don't like the thing that they think it is. Yeah, I agree. Um, nah, I like it when you agree with me. You're allowed to do that anytime. <laughs> um, <laughs> so... Speaking of Tron, you've inspired so many Bitcoiners to kind of friendly and kindly troll Tron creator Justin Sun. And I wonder if sometimes I have nothing to do with uh, it. Nah, this is just <laughs> not true at all. You, you, you started a trend. But here's the thing. Udi, you started a trend because you were funny. And I don't think a lot of people um, could really clearly distinguish between sarcasm and adoration because theirs is so sincere they don't really that, understand when it is that someone else That's why it's is... great, right? <laughs> that's what makes it great. What was your intention behind the, all of these Tron tweets that started the trend? Um, so, yeah, I, I, um, I strongly, I still strongly oppose the idea that started the trend, but I'll move on. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I, I truly think that Tron is a strong competitor to Ethereum, like probably EOS is and, and Binance chain is and whatever other kind of more centralized coins. And because I found myself involved with, you know, a lot of Ethereum people and I was trying to explain my point of view and it's really hard because you meet someone it's, it's in a lot of ways, it's like Bitcoiners. You meet someone who's, first exposure to the space was through Ethereum. There are a lot of people like that. Yes, and there they, are a lot and, of people like that. Yeah. And they and they fell in love with it for various reasons. Who are, um, some of them are very like pure and, and sometimes naive. Some of them are more related to making profits. Um, whatever the reason is, um, they kind of fell in love with it. Maybe they fell in love with the community. Doesn't matter. For some reason, they're um, infatuated with Ethereum. And it's very hard to to go to someone like that and say, hey, the, the set of beliefs that you have, I disagree with all of them vehemently. Um, it's, it's, it's not an easy experience for either side. And I found that using something like Tron, which they know and understand, at least to a certain degree, is helpful to at least get my ideas through. Um, it might still annoy them, <laughs> but at least they understand what I'm talking about. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so that's, that's why I like it. So someone, when I had tweeted about making this podcast, someone had asked us to explore the dichotomy between those who troll and manifest negativity and the intellectuals who persist positivity. And I'm just constantly floored and in awe of the way that you can engage with people that you disagree with without ever being a dick. Like, well, you're, they, they you're wanna, a little they, bit sarcastic. Some of them wouldn't agree with this. Uh, yeah. 
Look, but you're you yeah. always like it's you're never malicious. Okay, that's a better way to say it. Like I've never seen you be malicious. And so I'm wondering, what are your guiding principles for how you troll crypto Twitter? Is there something that you some things you know you don't ever want to do, some things you try always to do, aside from just being funny? Well, I I try to say the truth, first of all. Um kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. No, I mean, I, I try to not lie and I try to not, um, and I try not to say incorrect things, not as in incorrect predictions, but as, you know, just false facts. Um, I'm, I guess I'm sometimes kind of pedantic about it, but, um, look, I'll have, you know, a lot of people, um, really believe, I, I don't know what's a lot. Some people really believe that I'm like some sort of a malicious agent that's trying to take Ethereum apart from the inside. I know people believe oh, that so because funny. they say that. I mean, they told me that, they tell that to other people. So obviously people think that. Some people. Think I mean, there are people that think I'm trying to harm Bitcoin from the inside. That's it. Yeah. If, if Bitcoin is a goner because of me, then y'all were already doomed. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know like what it means exactly. What do they think that I'm doing? I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. Um, the the you know the thing about um, shorting Ethereum, uh, it kind of started. I mean, I was I thought that shorting Ethereum is really a good idea, but the, the reason I kind of started thinking about screaming that from the rooftops was because I met a few people from the Ethereum community who told me that they're convinced that the reason that I say bad things about Ethereum is because I'm trying to get its price to crash. And I mean, when I finished laughing, I, I asked them if, if, if it's, you know, it cannot, do you really think I can do that? Like, I, I guess that anyone could affect the price for a short period of time, but I mean, I've been doing this for many months and do you really think that, that I can sustain um, a, a drop in the Ethereum price for such a long time all by tweeting, I don't know, silly things on Twitter. And and it seems like some people believe that. So I said, okay, that, that's going to be a fun joke. Um, and the, the joke definitely had truth in it, but, you know, I, I was just floored by how people actually thought that I would do it in order to suppress the price. Um, you know, I'm just a guy. So that doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, I think you've had a lot of impact beyond um, maybe the amount of money you have invested in this space. You have a lot more impact than some people who have put it in a lot more and tried a lot harder. Um, sure, I hope to have some impact, sure. But, but I think the reason um, that you've had that impact is because you've been really acute at identifying um, how to engage with people and where engaging with people is productive and where it's not. Yeah, I hope so. Sometimes I feel like uh, some engagements are not very productive, but um, but sometimes they are. I mean, you know, one one thing that um, truly like really pissed me off was the uh, Ethereum uh, domain names thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, where where people use their Ethereum domain names in in their Twitter accounts and and the the dot ETH names. And it really pissed me off because there are so many years of, of research and work on how exposing this kind of data publicly is a terrible idea. There's like, there's no, zero advantage to it. <laughs> there's always a better way to do what you want to do that doesn't require you to broadcast to the world your entire financial history. It's just a bad thing to do. It's never a good idea. And it just pissed me off that people would go ahead and tell people that's a good idea. So I, I, I wasn't trying, you know, some people say, said, oh, would you use that as a way to get back at the Ethereum community? No, I was seriously um, seeing people falling for this, like real people, real faces falling for this. And I knew that they're definitely going to regret it for sure. 100% they're going to regret it. There's no way that they're not going to regret it. So I kind of made a big deal out of it. Um, and I guess now a few months later, it's, you know, it's all over the, the, the cryptocurrency news everywhere that this was obviously a really bad idea. Yeah, yeah, you were right. We know Udi was right. It's not about being right. I really want those people to not make mistakes. When I say those people, you know, they're, 
two categories, I guess. There are people who are pushing this narrative and they probably know that this is not the best idea, but they not exactly they don't exactly care. And then there are the the many followers who just see the fad and join it. And they don't deserve it. Honestly, they don't deserve it. It's such a huge mistake to make, and it's so easy not to make it that I felt like they need to know. You know, if even one person heard it and saw it and did something that was better for their personal privacy, then that's great. Oh, and they did. They did. I mean, some people, you know, people tell me this stuff. I know that some people saw that and they said, this is this sounds right. This sounds like something I should stop doing. And some of them even told me about it. So yeah, I know for sure that it affects people. Okay, so I want to open the floor a little bit to you, actually. Uh, I'm probably going to regret this. I want to know, because <laughs> you know my <laughs> perspective um, pretty well. And I'm wondering, I've told you where I take issue with your perspective, namely um, that I really think education is important for getting people. Um, and you think it's important too, but maybe I just uh, care a little bit more about it because I've had such a a steep curve myself um, to overcome. Where do you think that when I look at Bitcoin that I'm wrong? I know when I talked to Marty on his podcast a few weeks ago, everyone got very, very cranky that I was saying that Bitcoin is still very small and could potentially fail. But I don't think that you were upset by the idea that I thought Bitcoin could potentially wither. Um, do you think oh, there's something I, I get wrong? I mean, on, on the point of Bitcoin being able to fail, uh, that's probably a bigger than 50% chance that Bitcoin fails. So I don't know. What is failure for you? Um, that's a good question. Um, I, you know, I would consider things like uh, not being able to maintain the 21 million cap, a failure, for example. So it's possible that fees, a fee market just won't develop, for example. And and then I guess a few things can happen. Someone might make another coin that is like Bitcoin with the same UTXO set, but has inflation. I don't know. Um, that wouldn't be Bitcoin. Bitcoin would fail if, if that happens because um, Bitcoin is very clearly defined as something that has a supply of 21 million coin. So that seems like an, an obvious failure. Um, and there are probably others. I mean, obviously, if no one uses it anymore, <laughs> like no one, then that's a failure. Um, and there could be like technical failures too. There could be, I, I, I can't like come up with them, but they could happen. That would just render it useless. Um, and maybe, you know, there could be other things. Maybe I, I, I would expect that probably if Bitcoin continues for a while, then we're likely to see um, kind of a stronger pushback from nation states. And it's possible that they just kind of succeed in suppressing it. It's possible. People like to say they can't stop it. But I mean, maybe just people lose interest and 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 nations push back hard enough that you know people just don't want to use it anymore it could happen could happen with anything just because you can't stop it technically doesn't mean that people will still want it yeah i think that's the failure that i get most concerned about is bitcoin being regulated into irrelevance it's not that it would stop existing and i'm sure that very rich people would maybe continue using it for a few years after that but if it started being limited to um, extremely um, tightly monitored use cases for people who already have the um, the the power of the nation state, whether that means they're participating in that government or whether that means the government thinks that they're okay. And then I think it's irrelevant. Like we already have tools that we can use, right? With, that don't yeah. need censorship resistance. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess a lot of like more technically oriented people would push back and say that. Um, you kind of you cannot stop Bitcoin because there is always going to be a way to use the tools in a way that is undetectable and so on, and that's potentially true, but that doesn't mean that people will do it. So it's, yeah, yeah, it's, exactly. It's potentially possible, but maybe people have other solutions to their problems and they just won't use it. 
So yeah, that's, that's definitely possible. So, okay, you agree with me that there, um, you're not convinced entirely that Bitcoin will definitely take over the world and will all reign forever in a happy utopia. Um, is yeah. there anything in particular <laughs> that you think that I get wrong about Bitcoin that I should be doing better at? Well, um, hmm, I don't know. Um, I think that it probably, you know, kind of circles back to what we started the conversation on. So people who could maybe use Bitcoin but aren't, right? And that maybe this shows that that Bitcoin is doing something wrong. And I think so 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 there's there's definitely value there because those things can sometimes be opportunities that that you know businesses could solve, for example. And it's definitely um, valuable to cover it. But I'm not sure that Bitcoin itself can react to those things. Uh, Bitcoin kind of, as again, Bitcoin is an asset. It kind of made, or, you know, the people who made it kind of made a choice that it doesn't react to things. <laughs> Unlike things like Tron, who react to their environment seven times a week, um, Bitcoin is, isn't reacting to anything. It's just, it is what it is. When you say that, do you mean the Bitcoin market or do you mean like the asset itself? I mean the asset itself. So some things are, are, are that's like that's its entire value proposition is that it doesn't change. That's that's what's good about it. Um, if it started mutating, it would, you know, it would have to find some other use case because its current one wouldn't be very relevant anymore. I think. So, um, so Bitcoin as a thing just cannot react, you know, and people who can't use it, maybe it's not for them. That being said, it is valuable to cover those things because sometimes there might be, uh, you know, a business opportunity there or um, or whatever other kind of opportunity there for something that isn't Bitcoin but is using Bitcoin to help those people. Um, but I'm not sure that, you know, I'm I'm not sure that that's necessarily um, going to happen. Uh, a lot of the times, you know, I'm not sure that this fits will exist a lot of the times because, um, you know, a lot of those people, again, if you're a refugee, um, then in most cases, I don't see how Bitcoin could possibly help you no matter how easy the tools are. You know, I just don't think it's going to be the best tool for the job for a refugee in, in, in most cases um, because it just doesn't solve the problems that they have. What you're saying is that a lot of times I might oversimplify and say that an issue is relevant to Bitcoin itself as opposed to being relevant to um, the products and services that these people have accessible in order to use any asset. Yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah, and, 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 and if those services would exist, then maybe they wouldn't even chose to use Bitcoin. You know, maybe just Bitcoin isn't the solution for them a lot of those times. We, we have a tendency to look at someone who's having a financial problem and sometimes specifically a, a problem that relates to censorship and assume that Bitcoin will be the solution. But it, it really, you know, we have to be very specific. Um, because it's rarely the case. Sometimes it is. So sometimes, you know, I can say um, if you have someone who's in a community and and they having like banking access problems, then maybe this particular person is not going to be able to use Bitcoin. But it's possible that there's some entity in that community that could use Bitcoin in order to transfer much larger amounts of money in and out of that community and solve the people to solve the problems of the the other you know community members without them using bitcoin at all so you can use the the liquidity pool of bitcoin to solve problems for your community without using bitcoin for example so you could say that bitcoin helped but they wouldn't know it and and i think that's fine um you know because the hole that bitcoin fills is somewhere else you're saying that a lot of times I might confuse the concept of the Bitcoin community, and there are definitely people who want to make the world better, and they, like they're they're being drawn to it because they feel like Bitcoin is a ideology for them. Um, but confusing those 
uh, that perspective with the perspective of people who see Bitcoin just as a tool. And they have communities, but those communities are existing regardless of Bitcoin. And Bitcoin may come in and be a tool for that community or may not. And that these two things culturally are, are very separate and should not be conflated. Yeah, that sounds like a good description of, of what I would say if I could say things clearly as you can. Is there yeah. anything else you think related to Bitcoin and culture that we haven't touched on, but you think is really important for our audience to know? Hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Look into Tron. <laughs> that, that's that's no, not don't don't buy any coins because I said something. Okay, that's that's something that's important for people to know. If you see me talk about a shitcoin and, and, and think that's a good reason to buy it, then know that you didn't get it. <laughs> And I hope people don't buy Bitcoin because I talk about it. I hope people buy Bitcoin if it's useful for them. Yep. Okay. I feel like we can all agree on that. Sweet. You've certainly given me a lot to think about. Thank you so much for sharing and joining us today, Udi. Thanks for, thanks for having me. It was great. I enjoyed it. Once again, this is Coindesk reporter Lee Quinn. Make sure to stay tuned for more podcasts every week. For more interviews and insights, check out coindesk.com. Take care, everybody.